This is Coda Radio, episode 285, for November 27th, 2017. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. It's a here. How's a you? Hello, handsome. You know what I realized is uh, only a few more of these suckers were I'm going to say 2017 on that intro. We're like getting to the end of I these. Because we do these in week batches, so there's only a few more weeks. I'm not freaking out, though. I'm not either. I think 2018 is going to be the last year. Period. Just... Oh, I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say something really dramatic, like the last year of quarter radio, and then we'd insert some sort of dun-dun-dun. I don't believe you. That's likely. We, we, we might have to change it to the Windows Action Show, but we'll get there. <laughs> oh, yeah, we will get there today. I'm actually pretty surprised at the amount of um, engagement, as they say, this got on uh, Twitter when, when our little challenge here was announced. We do have many things that we've been gathered here to talk about today. Mr. Dominic, we gather around the table today to discuss many of things, of which some of those things are developer shortages. Did you know that there is a dramatic developer shortage and there is just not enough talent? Did you know this? Did you know this? Kind of. Um, (laughs) I'm just trying to get you to bite. We've talked about this a lot, and this is once again a topic. If you are in San Francisco, I am sure there is a developer shortage. I believe you, Mark. I believe you, Apple. Is you could simply pay more money, make it worthwhile for people to live in the hellhole that is California, or simply, you know, lower your requirements. Meaning, we've talked about this a lot, right? Like the the Google hiring test, the Microsoft hiring test, yeah. are kind of crazy upside theory thing that doesn't end up mattering if you're just doing like front-end web development a lot of that stuff i think can be rolled back also the remote working thing something i'm pretty much a fan of but that's because i'm too lazy to go to an office five days a week so i'm more curious as to your take because i feel like i've talked about this a lot you know i i can't really i wish i could evolve a better take on this than what i have but um i what i can't get over is how we are not able to better utilize remote, remote resources. And now I have witnessed a few companies that seem to do it fairly well. Um, Canonical so, yeah, is, so, so. is a company that was born in an era of the Internet where their, their workforce is worldwide and they make it work as a company. We have a, a partially remote team now, right? We've got a, a, a new uh, – uh, hire who's a code radio listener from Texas. Um, we've got people in different parts of Florida, somebody in New Jersey, and I, I think somebody somewhere else. But I... and but everybody's U.S. based, right? That's kind of where we draw the line for for kind of like business reasons. It's really not that hard, right? The challenging fact is like you know running payroll in multiple states is hard, so you might end up telling people, well, you know, you're going to be a contractor. Yeah, you pay them in Bitcoin. Um, Right, it will be Ethereum because it's going down. Sure, sure. And uh, <laughs> Litecoin, hello. But the idea that you can't find people to do the work and that remote employees are worse. Listen, I've had bad on-site employees. I've had bad remote employees. And this is going to sound awful, but bad remote employees are in a way easier to deal with. Because it's just like psychologically easier to fire them. Yeah, right? I, I guess so. I guess so. Well, you had, really, you don't have to see yeah. if that guy working with you was remote right now. You wouldn't hear him opening up that beer in the background. That's I know I mean. the two of them, and they're not even opening beer. They're opening Coca Cola. Yeah, I, I was can't just, believe I have that crap in this office. I was being generous. Did you know? I assumed it was cola, but I was being generous. Um, December first, these two jo- jo- jokers are in the other office. We have more space. December first, son of a yeah. bitches, get them out of there. Get them out of here. You know what? 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 So you know he's got like coke in his car. I mean, I'm sorry, Jesus. 
What what strikes me about it is it seems like if any industry could figure this out, it would be ours. And it would be the betterment for humanity because better products would be created, less environmental impact on people traveling to work, resources could be spread out, people could move out from cities. There's so many benefits to just figuring out a great way to work with remote employees. And maybe take the canonical approach where a few times a year you fly a bunch of them together and they, they sprint in a room together and they establish relationships and they go back home and those, those person-to-person contacts remain. Do that. I mean, whatever well, it takes. Not? But why can't we figure this out, Mike? Great tools. There are there are bots that you could use called like Alice hmm. that you could like install on your Slack that would totally help your remote team collaborate on documents and email threads, keeping up with your clients and customers and other stakeholders. Hmm. Interesting. Or you could just be a jackass and you know spend a ton of money in rent and make everybody come to a physical space, thereby limiting the talent pool you have to hire from, and then you get to bitch and moan that there's a shortage. Do remote – I mean, so here's the other thing that seems like – now, if you're just going from like – now, let's switch over to like the business owner and uh, – Let me put on my Republican scarf, man. Uh, your scarf. <laughs> isn't it kind of obvious too from like a cost standpoint? You can get extremely good talent at a lower rate if you let them work from their home in Colorado versus make them move to California or Florida. So, so or say I mean, Texas. Florida is not a great – great example because the cost of living is relatively low especially where i am okay but, yeah. let, let, let's, but you get let's my take point my right for, instead of having to relocate them well no, no no this is a great point my, my my former home state of new jersey has like an incredibly high cost of living huh. and the highest taxes in the country right now oh wonderful so thank g my salary has become a lot more competitive in let's say florida or kansas or georgia right I think that's the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, you people can make a good wage for where they for where they live, and your business can yeah. be. And it's not even a know, compromise for long. them. Like, legitimately, if uh, say I had no family attachments here in Washington, I could move my RV. I live in an RV. I could I could drive it to Noah's yard. I could park in Noah's yard, and I could live there for say six months out of the year in the summertime and springtime. And I, I, without making a dollar more, I would still be earning more there because everything is significantly cheaper. My food, my gas, my cost of living is substantially yeah. cheaper. And, you know, maybe thousands of dollars a month cheaper than living in Washington. That's and that would be a, that would essentially be a pay raise for me. Well, look at look at what I did. I disrupted my entire life to move to Florida. Yeah. Yeah, I think and, it's, and a significant factor was the taxes and the cost of running a business yeah. and the cost of living mm-hmm. is just like significantly lower than New Jersey. Family it, members it of did. mine have moved from Washington right. and California to Texas for the same reason. Right. I ask you a question. So, I, you know, I've been flip flopping on this, and I've ended up at a middle ground, much like my good man Mitt Romney, who I really wish was president. Wow! Wow! Really? Oh God! Oh God! God! I also enjoy firing people. Um, dirty little hybrid model going where there's this very small core team that comes to the office in Florida. We come a few days a week and then every, then we're remote. Yeah. So it's sort of the hybrid, a hybrid approach, which is um, not super. I mean, we have a, I would say even a a JB, a further hybrid approach. Like we see each other once or twice a year and that's about it really. Except for a core set of people. We have like most people are remote. You know, I come into the office either the two days a week I'm supposed to, or you, you know, I have an 18 month old at home, right? So sometimes having a physical space that's not earshot of him screaming because he didn't get a cookie or something is is great. <laughs> yeah, I, he's I know 18 that. months, and he, he's advanced on those terrible twos. So mm-hmm. it's you know, yeah. oh, I I I, uh, I had a I had a brilliant plan um, to podcast out of my garage until I had three kids and their bedroom was above the garage. So mm-hmm. I thought that's how I was going to save know. my money. I wouldn't I wouldn't have an office space. You see, I was going to save the money, and I was just well, I thought hurt. that too. Right? Yeah. If you listened back six months ago, I was like, I don't need no office space. No. And I was like, Yeah. So I leased an office because I can't take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so it, it does. Ha- and you know what? I do really, really appreciate the separation of home and work too. <clears throat> It is a, it is an, but, it is sometimes I, it's, I, go ahead. Not having like, you know, eight or 10 people, whatever it is now here. Right. Cause I mean, I'm in my office right now. If you can hear from the Coca-Cola addicts in the background. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking at you, Luis. Um, 
it's different, right? Because if you had an office where it was mandatory five days a week, one, I feel like people don't get their best work done nine to five. I don't, mm. right? I, I really don't. I do my best work at, you know, between like 10, like nine and midnight because I'm old now. It used to be like 12 and four, but I can't do it anymore. It's 9 p.m.? I, 9 p.m., really? You're still doing 9 p.m. to midnight, huh? 9 p.m. <clears throat> goes to sleep, right? The kids asleep at six. I hang out with my wife, Laura, for maybe an hour or two. And then, you know, she'll go take a... She goes to bed because she's up with him at five. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I watch Star Trek Discovery. Um, I do 100 and something jumps in about an hour. It's fun. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Yeah, and sometimes you tweet about it too. Uh, so let's talk about this article before we get into more of the hoopla this week because you found this. Modern JavaScript explained for dinosaurs. So I love this. I love this graphic. I'm going to leave it up on the screen while we talk about this. So I just want to jump in here. Have you noticed the theme, Chris, and people sending us things that are like for dinosaurs or by dinosaurs? Oh, no. I feel like this. There's a message. Like, there's some <laughs> subtext here. And we're not that old. No. No, but we've seen Quite a few older things. Than me, but... We've seen a few things. You know, that's what it is. is once you well, start seeing a listen, few things. I've been to Reno several times. So, of course, I've seen a few things. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, the comic stars front-end devs used to just need HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Now, apparently, they need to learn about Node, NPM, Grunt, Gulp, Webpack, ba- uh, Babel, Babel, as I always mispronounce it. Wait up. What the heck do I need for the front end then? Oh, that's just the back end. Get it? That's just the back end. <laughs> that's good. That's quite good, actually, because yeah. it's true. Gosh, that is one thing. And I I know it's just not the same. But if you time traveled back and, and went and told uh, young Chris how things would be built today on the servers that he was setting up back in the day, he wouldn't have believed you. He would have said that's not possible. You can't do that. You can't use JavaScript for that. You can't do that. <laughs> Are you crazy? That's not possible. Yeah. I love it. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's take a moment and let's talk about our sponsor this week, DigitalOcean. A lot of these things you're going to run. Like we're going we're to talk about Alice here for a moment. You know what? You're building infrastructure. You want to de- do some deployment. You want to prototype things. You want to work with clients. You want to put it in production. DigitalOcean. It can do all of those things. DigitalOcean.com. You go over there. You create your account and then apply our promo code, CoderDigital. One word. Boom. You put that on there, you get a $10 credit, and then you can get a droplet started in less than 55 seconds. Every machine is SSDs. Oh! All SSDs. I love it. For, the, for like the $5 a month rig, all the way up to the ones with hundreds of gigs of RAM. Yeah, I said hundreds and terabytes of storage and unbelievable amounts of transfer. Uh, they have uh, all kinds of different options, too. You can have team support. You can have monitoring alerting to get metrics and alerts if there's an outage on your droplet. They have load balancing as a service, a fully managed service that works right out of the box to distribute incoming traffic to increase your application availability, private networking that doesn't account against your storage or your transfer which is great for like proxying or backend databases or backups, object storage, block storage, both of which have different and very useful applications, straightforward pricing. My favorite rig is just three cents an hour. That give you two gigs of RAM, two CPUs, 40 gigabytes of SSD and three terabytes of transfer. That's just great when I just want to do like some back-end CPU stuff up in the cloud. They got data centers all over the world. And one of the things I love about their website is you can pick which one's best for you because you can go there and then you can run a speed test to that data center from your location. And they have them everywhere that has really high-end connectivity. They have so many different open source projects they support. It's a really fantastic service with a great dashboard and a simple API that you can integrate into your infrastructure. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CoderDigital. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Promo code CoderDigital over at DigitalOcean.com. So speaking of JavaScript, why Alice runs in JavaScript. I see what you did here. I see what you did here. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this uh, shenanigans going over at the Mad Potter. Yeah, so um, I started writing a bunch of uh, portions slash, you might say, modules of Alice in TypeScript. Yeah. Um, for the reason of classical inheritance in... Say again, I didn't hear that. I didn't catch this. For the reason of, what was it before class? Yeah, held against classical, classical inheritance in JavaScript for a while, mm, right? Okay. okay, yeah. But the reality of when you have other people working on the project or you think you're going to, that's very familiar for them, right? And and, and, the, and now this is changing, 
but still the vast majority of people you're going to hire were taught on Java and C sharp and things like that on, you know, Python or Ruby where they're used to um, a more dynamic, like let's say dynamic structure, right? And Ruby, Ruby is a bad example, but and for a lot of new developers or even a lot of like intermediate developers, JavaScript's prototypical inheritance pattern is really, really hard. So you end up in a situation where I used to say, well, that's tough cookies. You got to learn it or just, you know, don't use uh, inheritance, don't use classes. But now ECMAScript 6 came out and I, I accidentally discovered something weird. So I, if you look at the post on DominicM.com, I go through and I list kind of the reasons that I ended up taking all of like the other night, I think it was Saturday night, and refactoring all my TypeScript back into JavaScript. Oh, really? So it's pure JavaScript now. Wow. That must have been a mad session. <laughs> I get the mad part. I get it. Well, actually, it wasn't. And that's kind of the sick part. Oh, really? So the reality is the, the way TypeScript was working is it was transpiling my TypeScript into JavaScript, into ES6. If you look, I have some code samples there. The ES6 is very readable, very usable. There's no reason you couldn't just write that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. I'm putting it up on screen. The TypeScript layer there involved having a a dist folder. You can name it something else, but in mine it was dist. That would actually be the code running. And, And there was this problem that if there was a bug in the code that like the JavaScript compiler didn't like, the error in the console would not come to my TypeScript that I wrote, but to the generated JavaScript. Mm, okay. I'm following and, you. And this is, uh, geez, this is pretty similar just on its, on the face of it. Right. This is like from a trivial, like, yeah. does this co- does the JavaScript look like the TypeScript? Yeah. It's very, very similar. Now, I'm, in a second, I'm going to point out the differences, but I really want to hit that debugging point because that's the one that pushed me over the edge. You have an error, Chris. You, it's midnight. You're working on this. You know, I need to do a demo of this next version of Alice uh, on Saturday, this coming Saturday. I'm flying to New York on Thursday. I need to do this demo on Saturday. Jeez, okay. The exception I'm getting in the console, it has nothing to do with my code. It's well, it, it's it's the compiled, transpiled version mm. of my code. Mm. Okay. Okay, I'm following you. A tracking you, that's, sir. That, that's not what you want, right? Because think about it. How would you go about fixing that? Well, you'd go look at the exception and you'd go back to your TypeScript code and figure out, okay, what did I do in TypeScript that caused that behavior in right. JavaScript? Right, exactly, yep. What's wrong with that? Alice is getting kind of big. Ah, okay. That's what's wrong with that. <laughs> it's getting you know, to be quite the chore. <laughs> to be not scalable. Yeah, okay. Um, I, and on its face, it's kind of a bad idea. Mm. That, like this app is getting more complicated. You know, there's a lot of asynchronous stuff going on. A lot of like network requests that have to happen at are, certain are times. Saying, timing. Are you saying you're proactively addressing technical debt? Right. I'm, I. You are. I guess I could. You are. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Right. You didn't even realize it. Look at you. What a good boy. Look yeah, at you. I didn't realize. <laughs> being, taking my own advice. Yeah. <laughs> So then I, on a whim, I kind of like looked at the disk folder. Like, okay, what does this compiled JavaScript look like? I expected like some gnarly stuff. Then like, well, that's almost exactly how I would have written it if I wrote it by hand. Right, mm. mm. the ES6 class. That, that's a big uh, difference. That's a moment where it clicks and you go, oh, okay. So that's what I did. I did a git reset hard and I rewrote everything in ES6. Boom. Um, and, uh, that's where we are now. Now you mentioned a good point about the, uh, so, so hmm. the thing I had to give up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What was it? Now I'm an old fogey. So I use the term static typing. I know the more in vogue thing is strong typing and I know they're not necessarily always hundred percent the same thing, Okay, but for the sake of argument, let's call that type checking. Okay. Disclaimer made. I got you. Disclaimer made because this is an hour podcast and, yeah. Sometimes you can't go that low into the details. <laughs> All right. And in my blog post, I actually called that out because I wasn't going to like write that as a section because it does undercut my argument a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I see. You need static typing as much as you think you do. Hmm. Doesn't have it. And 
people just write tests to basically replicate what the compiler does if it were statically typed. Hmm. I have, when writing large-scale JavaScript, generally have nothing to do with static typing. Okay. And everything to do with like weird callback hell, right? Like, JavaScript tends to work, particularly in the node space, right? Like, that's a lot of callbacks. Yeah, there you go. As you can tell by that uh, rich sound of typing, we did a quick cut here in the show and switched over our VoIP backend, so that way we have a better capture of Mr. Dominic. So are we pretty much wrapped up on the Alice switching to JavaScript? I think that was fascinating, as much as I could follow. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, bottom line, right? The benefits of TypeScript did not outweigh the pain in the ass debugging. Yeah. Yeah, and and bottom line is uh, you kicked ass on that uh, on that switch. I mean, like, damn, that's a, that was a productive night. Good job on that. I'm impressed. Um, and then you have one more uh, medium post that we'll have in the show notes, uh, which uh, with a beautiful picture of Krispy Kreme, Krispy Kreme donuts, on why you might need type, why you might not need TypeScript or stat- static types. typing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's nice. Very nice. Nice little uh, kind of. Uh, in- you know, just sort of wraps it all up. But uh, it's almost perfect that we had to switch VoIP systems because what we're about to get to for the show is about the tools that we use for the uh, this aspect of our jobs. And uh, Mr. Dominic got himself a new piece of hardware out of left field, too. Didn't see this one coming. Wasn't anything we've discussed on the show. And uh, he took the Windows challenge and was finding to be quite productive. And so um, I was inspired to follow suit. I loaded up Windows 10 on a Dell 7725. Uh, 250? I, I don't remember the exact precision model number. Yeah, but the, the model names on Windows PCs is not great. Yeah, so I loaded it yep. up and uh, gave it a go. Went through quite a few processes to uh, try it out. And uh, I'm here to share my thoughts. And um, I'm coming away with a different take this time. I, I hadn't used the Windows 10 Fall Creators Update version or whatever it was. So I have some thoughts on that. Plus, I want to hear about your new hardware. Let's do, though, let's do our let's do our last sponsor read for this week. So that way we can just go full bore throughout the rest of the episode. I feel good now. We got good VoIP. We've 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 gone away and done a challenge. Mike's got new hardware and Linux Academy has a fantastic deal. I'm just I'm going to ask for a little favor. You still give us a bit of a mention by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. If you have been on the fence about joining Linux Academy, they have a fantastic deal that's just going for a little bit longer. You have to act as you're listening to this episode. This is a platform to learn everything about Linux and all of the really great platforms around Linux, like AWS, Azure, OpenStack. They have self-paced in-depth video courses on all those topics. And for this week, for a limited time, they have an unbelievable deal. You can get Linux Academy for 34% off for the year, 12 50 a month. Just do me a favor and go to linuxacademy.com slash coders so we get a hit in their log so you know we sent you there. But then if you look around, they'll have a banner if it's still going. And it's it's such a good deal. Now, if you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders, after this deal, you're still going to get the seven-day free trial. You can still look at the platform, see what its features are. But damn if this isn't the deal of the year. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go sign up for the best platform to learn more about Linux with instructors standing by to help you, a community stacked full of your fellow Jupiter Broadcasting listeners, and much more. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Mr. Dominic, you got yourself an HP Spectre uh, X360. Dun, dun, dun. This is, didn't see this one coming. This is one. This is their really, really felt like a fancy high-end MacBook killer laptop, right? With the 4K display and all that goodies? Yeah, I. Uh, it was an open box deal at Best Buy on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Hmm. So, Good score, or Tuesday. Dude. Good yeah, score. Yeah, so I, I picked it up. Um, so I want to do a little time travel with this if we can. Love it. I'm going to speak as though it weren't. 10 o'clock this morning hadn't happened yet okay 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 all right okay and then at the end after you go i'm going to speak in post the 10 o'clock tense. okay i love it right windows 10 uh first of all so the hp specter is a very thin 13 inch laptop that does a flippy backwards thing and has a pen although the pen didn't come with it i bought a bamboo pen um and it does all like the windows conversion stuff People will know that I love convergence. It's one of the things I've always been hunting for, the laptop-tablet uh, hybrid. It's one of my big complaints about Mac, right, that you can't do convergence. 
I liked Ubuntu when they thought they were going to do that and then, of course, didn't ship it because that's what they do. So I'm pretty happy with it on that front. Uh, the keyboard is far better than the MacBook Pro keyboard. The battery life is phenomenally better than the Galago Pro, not as good as the MacBook. What is, do you have a sense of what the battery life was? I'm curious about that. It, it's about six to seven hours. Okay, definitely usable, right? Def, definitely acceptable, right? Uh, Windows 10 as an environment... So the hardware's great, right? The screen's nice, the trackpad's okay, like everything's fine. Um, and, and I can't stress how much better the battery life is than the Galago, and the keyboard is than the new MacBook Pro keyboard, which is an abomination. The operating system, Windows, I feel like has actually come a long way. Because I haven't seriously used Windows. Like I've been using the HP as my daily driver for everything but until, again, 10 a.m. today, which we're not going to talk about yet. It it works, right? You hit the Windows key, which I would call the ghetto command key, and, you know, it, it's fine. The only thing complaints I have is that I had to delete a bunch of crap off the computer, like a bunch of HP stuff that was running oh, at startup. and still and doing like, that? They're still doing that. So that was annoying. But other than that, like the operating system, you know, I opened VS Code and I got a bash terminal. Or, a, or it was actually PowerShell, but it responded well enough to bash commands that I basically didn't notice the difference. Um, VS Code handled the line endings in a, in a non-destructive way. So it didn't like reconsider the whole file rewritten to change it to Windows line endings because it was coming down with right, Unix line endings. Um, you know, installing Node, installing NPM, I was primarily working on Alice on this, was kind of great. Um, VS Code was just as good as it is on Mac or, or Linux. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I would argue slightly better. I felt it was faster, but that may be something weird with my setup on Mac because I think my Mac is in a, in a, a bad state. Um, it, uh, I really, really like this machine. Like I, until 10 a.m. this morning, I had visions of actually, you know, throwing the gauntlet down and, and, and telling you we have to start the windows action show. And, you know, this is gonna be my one machine. I was gonna have my bamboo pen, you know, for presentations, I do tablet. I was gonna switch to OneNote. Wow. It was gonna be awesome. Wow. Wow. OneNote. Yeah. I've heard good things about OneNote. Never used it much. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the writing out equations and accounting stuff was awesome. Like, I I really, really like this machine. I think Windows 10 is, is the best wannabe Linux distro that I've used in a long time. Wow. Okay. Now so, I want you to go yeah, before sure. I tell you about 10 a.m. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I started out with an uh, older original install of Windows 10. It was fully up to date. And um, my old school thinking about the way Windows updates worked is I just assumed like the creator's update would come via Windows update. I didn't realize I, I ended up having to download a separate application and run through an upgrade process, which on my MiFi took about four hours and involved four reboots. Which was a bit tedious because my default is Ubuntu 16.04, so I had to be there for each one of the reboots. Which did remind me about one of the things I kind of found tedious about Windows is that I really have to be structured about when I do my updates because of it. It does seem to require more of my attention than just say sitting down at a Linux box and updating all of my packages or running software update on Mac app, app Store. So I found that to be sort of old school about Windows. But one thing that uh, strikes me when I sit down with the latest version of Windows 10 and after I install Ubuntu from the software center, um, um, from their Windows, Microsoft Store, whatever they call it, and then I, have to go, I, then I go in and I turn on the Windows subsystem feature. It doesn't get turned on just by installing Ubuntu, which you might think it would. I find that it is remarkable how first class all of the applications feel. Everything on Windows feels like it, yes. it, it has a lot of intention to be on that operating system. And a lot of time was spent just, it, just roughing off or just smoothing off the rough edges. Slack and Telegram and Steam and obviously it's, Skype. It's, the, it's and, the little things, right? The yeah, way like the, yeah. the – I'm sorry to interrupt, but the way like the title bars change to mimic your environment colors. Right. They, and I, I like have the photography sitting on where it does like nice like landscapes and everything uniformly changes. There's no like ugly ducking. The Windows Mail app, the stupid UWP one, is actually I would say far superior to Gary in a lot of ways. Yeah, it right? is I think. I agree. I actually found it to be – I was probably pleasantly surprised. Uh, and I 
after I after I modified the settings of the start menu quite a bit, um, I disabled Cortana from the taskbar. I just took that off yep, because I want the real estate. And then I modified uh, – I took off almost all the tiles. And then I just added back tiles. Um, like I put a Bitcoin ticker in there and I put a few applications in there, Slack, a few other things in there, which I find actually kind of nice. It's sort of like having widgets that are available instantly when I need them. But I still have yeah. a traditional launcher. And uh, after the fall creators update – I, I am I am blown away at the speed of the start search. I have never witnessed like it's searching applications, the app store, and the web faster than I can type them and giving me accurate results. It's remarkable how fast that is. I don't know if I like the search results being in there. I, I may turn that off if I were going to continue to use Windows. But hot damn, if that isn't the, to put all other launchers to shame in terms of just raw frickin' performance – Really remarkable. It beats the shit out of Spotlight. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. And any any like anything from Unity. Like I've been using the Unity Seven launcher for a while now, and it's just this is just. I mean, obviously, and the, and the GNOME one. Yeah. 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 I can yes, tell you. yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But it, all that aside, um, the little things do get to me. Like the the fiddliness of the power management settings, the fiddliness of how I get the updates, and the mechanisms within which I do it, and um, uh, the fact that. Portions of it are really low res when certain like installers pop up. They just look like real crap on a high DPI display. It's kind of embarrassing. So those things are still there, but it's so much better than Windows. Like you and I are communicating right now on a Windows 7 PC, and this is my definition of what Windows is like. This this Windows 7 was sort of peak Windows for me, and um, I think Windows 10 is better. Windows 10 is better, and so that means my understanding of how good Windows is needs to go up a notch. Uh, because Windows 10 is better, especially once you turn on the Windows subsystem and you install Linux and a pick yep. and, and my pick of the week that I'm going to give you guys in a couple of minutes once you install that, if you're a Linux user. Uh, and then I installed uh, Chocolate or whatever it's called. The It's essentially like Brew for Windows. It, yeah, it's – it's uh, yeah, it, you're right. It's Brew. But, but it yeah. handles actual Windows applications like MSI files. So I can just Brew install – well, it's not Brew. I can like Chocolate install. It's, it's Chalk install. Yeah, yeah Chalk yeah, install yeah. VirtualBox or, or whatever. And I get the Windows version of VirtualBox. And they're current too. Um, they have the latest version of YouTube DL, which I talked about last yep. week. So I really, really found it to be – pretty adjustable and usable like i could really get it set up plus i had access to a whole bunch of games that i've actually purchased but never quite got working under linux so yeah if you open steam and windows like oh shit i bought yeah. this stuff <laughs> yeah 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 so there's all of that um but yeah. um ultimately for me the fiddliness of it um and sort of the the long history of going good going hard going good with the windows box and then i hit a wall at some point um it, it sort of it sort of gives me uh, trepidation because they 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 have a good product now, but it doesn't mean Windows is going to continue to be a good product. There's no guarantee. There's I so mean, many no things other... at play. Mm. It just gives okay, me. No a, I'm uncomfortable. Host. I'm uncomfortable with it. Like I, I feel like I feel like at any moment the rug is going to get pulled out from underneath me. Okay, so I had that feeling too. And again, this is not 10 a.m. yet. I, I want to push back on that, though, right? Because my, my last major Windows experience, other than WinRT, which I mean, can only be defined as a train wreck, um, was Windows 7, like you, right? But it was Windows 7 when Windows 7 was current. Well, the fact that I can still sit here and produce a show using Windows 7 shows you that if you like your Windows, right. you can keep it for quite a while. Right. I, I, I mean, I'm going to be pretty unpopular in the comments today, but I'm going to say that Windows 10 is actually like a great production-oriented developer machine. Well, can I say one more uh, thing? Sorry, sorry. Go I, don't, ahead, I yeah. know we keep doing this, but I just want to get this in while we're still being positive. Um, uh, it is, it's a way better windowing environment than X. Like the, It yep. draws the windows so much smoother and cleaner and faster. The transitions also, are cleaner. Everything yep. looks like it's just like in, in, in Ubuntu, like I could show you right now, actually. If I take this Chrome window and I drag this Chrome window across my screen... It has it's like gonna, this. It, right. It's actually right there, just legged out. Actually, it was legging out on me. It, it, it it's junky. It glitchy. It, it sometimes draws like a little gray box around. It. It's not even staying up with my mouse. It's kind of embarrassingly bad. And this is a this is a high end Intel system, six cores, uh, thirty two. I have gigs a three thousand dollar MacBook on my desk that does the same thing with Chrome. Look at this. Look at this. I'm look at this. Yeah. Look at this thing. Can't keep up with my Windows at all. And when it does, it's chunky. It draws badly. And Chrome is a uh, worst case example. 
but uh, the, I could show you other windows that they'll at least they at least they are they they draw an artificial border. They oh, it's getting cut off. X11 is just it's crap. X11 is too old. It's ancient, and uh, Wayland is not here enough yet. Like Wayland is too far off in the future, and too many things are going to break. So when I sit down and with Windows, there is one thing I really respect about it is how good and consistent that window drawing yeah. experience is. And when you yeah. snap a window over to the edge, I love how it sort of goes tablet mode on you. And it just yes. says, okay, what other application right. do you want to tile that with? And it's like, okay, what do you – right, if you're comparing notes like an email yeah. to, to a document. So let, let me just do one more positive thing before I uh, pop the shit in reverse. Um, and this is more of a warning. If I was someone like System76 mm. or or anyone trying to sell Linux laptops, Dell, Pogo Linux, whoever, I would be very scared because I'm someone who switched to Ubuntu because my target production environment is 90% of the time Ubuntu, and it just makes sense. But the Windows subsystem for Linux completely mitigates that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I have to be honest with you. I did an upgrade and everything. I was thrilled. Like, Everything worked. All my scripts work, um, and it was performance is good. Perfect. Yep. It performance is great. It was with like it's my first time I'd I ever used st- it. It was my first time ever using. it. I installed Fish Shell. I just went to town, man. I, I really I and really- I could run Visual Studio for any kind of Xamarin work, which we'll talk about in a minute. Or I could install, you know. Any of the hundreds of Steam yeah. games I bought that I can well, no longer play. This is the next generation of Microsoft's tools, and you're starting to see them right. integrated already with Visual Studio Code, where they're going to just start building yeah. in Bash support. So you just hit a button in your program of choice that you love using, and boom, an Ubuntu or SUSE or Fedora Bash shell will open up from the subsystem, and you, ha- you when you're done, you just close it. And now Linux is just like, a feature of Windows. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't stress enough. Like, I so I got the machine right, and I will admit there was like an hour of just deleting garbage off of it, which is negative, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I just did a Git clone of I have this like private GitHub that's my like local scripts, local what you know stuff I stuff. It's Bash scripts, right? Stuff I always want, and everything just ran as soon as I installed the subsystem for Windows, like, and it ran with no modification whatsoever. Um, I would say Windows 10 is the best distro of Linux I've ever used. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, if I'm a Windows user, it is probably the best Windows OS. Now, uh, to begin to start to open up our transition here, my core problem with it is, um, if I'm if I'm if I'm really honest with myself, if I if I rely so much on the Ubuntu environment in Windows subsystem for Linux, why not just use Ubuntu, where I have the yep. same applications? And I'm running on an operating system that, honestly, <clears throat> feels a bit closer to the metal. Feels like it's mm-hmm. less intertwined with another company's. Uh, like, like when you go turn on developer mode, like it start, it makes you wait while it goes and checks for packages, and then it installs packages in the background just because I checked a box. And it feels like micro. It feels like Windows 10 is constantly like I. I invoke something and it and it gets modified in some sense, and it dynamically installs something constantly and. Well, that's I guess sort of like installing packages in Linux. It it, it feels like it's um, intertwined at a level that just makes me uncomfortable. I, I guess I, I at the end of it, I felt at the end of my test, I felt okay. This was good and went way better than I expected. But when my computer powers back on, I don't have any compelling reason not to just go into Ubuntu, unless it was one of those games or something. But it's all the same applications I use. And the games I do want to play are available for Linux. So I. So do you do you have a convertible? No. Or two in one, whatever they're called. No, I've okay. never really got so, into that. I, I will say one of the stronger points of the Spectre for me is the I'm sitting in an airport lounge and I want to edit a document or review a document. That I, I think Windows 10 loses a lot of its unique advantages because in desktop mode, really. I think it's fair to say it's like a good version of, of a Linux invitation, right, for, for my de- my development needs. Um, yeah, I, I kind of but, agree. Yeah, I do agree. But the ability to flip the, the hardware around and go into that tablet mode and do like the businessy crap that I have to do is actually – I found that really compelling. Um, like really com- – it's it, it, I mean granted I've been burned before $40,000 on WinRT. Um but like I you're don't gonna, know. Like you're going to stick with this? You're sticking with this uh, convertible mode? Well, I didn't say that yet. So let's because you could let's, try Unity Seven on there because it's pretty touch. It has a lot of touch support. So 
Okay, so I'm going to let you finish up, and then I'm going to tell you what happened. Okay. Well, I'll just finish up by saying, on further reflection and listening to you, it's funny. uh, I don't think I wanted to admit it, but I did get the sensation that this is like the best version of desktop Linux I've ever used. Because with I did too. With Ubuntu there and the fact that I now have a package manager and, again, my app pick here in a, in a couple of moments, all those things really gave me the sensation. Plus, I have SSH open to a bunch of Linux boxes already, so yep. uh, it, it really did feel like Microsoft was trying to go for like a Linux dev workstation kind of thing with Windows 10. It can also be like a gaming experience. I mean, it can be other things, but the way I ended up configuring it after I disabled Cortana and a bunch of the start menu crap and tuned down some of the stuff, it it felt a lot like Linux to me with a really good compositor. And uh, I had a I had a Ubuntu VM, or I mean, I had a Ubuntu command line and I had a Fedora, or I'm sorry, an OpenSUSE Leap command line. And it was, I don't know, it, it I guess if if I'm being totally honest, if I if I'm looking at this from a Linux advocate position, it kind of scares the hell out of me a little bit. The fact it that should. it didn't the fact that it didn't give me the sensation of switching, though, uh, sort of gives me some peace with it because I I still so, walked away with it. Well, that's close. It's pretty good, hmm. but it's not actual Linux. All right. So I want to say that up until 10 a.m. today, it was going to be with or Ubuntu, with or Pop OS. I'm all in on Windows 10. This is the perfect environment. But there is a third party, a third force in the world here, who, like Sauron, gives you a ring of power that is hard not to put back on. And that is, of course, a dark lord in a stark white room, Mac OS. Oh, Mac OS. Okay. All right. Okay. it? Is it Mac OS or is it Xcode specifically? So that's an interesting question. It's Xcode, right? I got into a weird situation at 10 a.m. where I needed to do something that it was impossible to do on either of the two laptops I had with me at my desk, my Galico Pro or my uh, HP. I had to drive home and go get my MacBook. Oh, boy. That's a that's a moment when that and, happens. And that's... the whole world, like this yeah. whole like – yeah. Four or five, six months just came shattering down. Yeah, and when you're like, said, you have that moment where you're like, shit, if I'm on a, if I'm on an island and I can only take one computer, it has to be this. Well, no, I, I, I'm flying to New York on Thursday, right? So it was like, if, if I was already in New York, Whew. and this, this thing came up, and I only had these two machines or one of these machines, this would have been a major issue. Wow. So I'm back on the Mac. Not by choice. I actually think the Mac is probably the worst of these three options. You think so? I think the I think the hard. I so it's weird. I I can't believe I'm ever saying this because I never thought I would. It's not the software. The hardware on the Mac is actually my problem. It's the keyboard. It's the um, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The keyboard's not great. I have one. I have the the first generation TouchBook Pro, which I ended up using as. Uh, my editing station, and uh, yeah. I definitely don't like using the keyboard. I like the keyboard on the Dell Precision Laptop 10,000 times yeah. more. I like the keyboard on the HP and the Galago Pro more. Yeah, but, you know, outside of that, I still think they make some of the best damn hardware out there. So at least, it, I mean, it's yeah, it's got its quirks. It's got its limitations. you got to have dongles. Um, I'd like all those things to change. But if your workflow requires, like in my case, it's Final Cut. My Xcode is Final Cut, and I can't find a, 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 a don't bother writing me, and I don't want to hear it. Uh, I just I've done I've spent so much time and money trying other editors and I keep going back to Final Cut. And so it's like me. It's like if I can only take one computer with me on the road, I almost I what I've actually what I've been tempted to do is just just not edit video as much anymore. (laughs) It's sort of been my solution, but it's not a great business move. Yeah, I I have no like I've tried all kinds of crazy things to remove this dependency on a. on Mac OS, OS 10, whatever. And, a bit, though, don't you feel like they are going in a better direction now? Like, there's obvious blowback to this keyboard, and Apple is not deaf to these Yeah, things. but that requires spending... I mean, not yeah, that I've ever been next, shy about the next one in at WWDC will have a brand new keyboard, I bet, or a totally updated keyboard. Well, so... so I mean, my, Mark there you go, a little 2018 post. prediction, boom. Right. Mark Roman wrote that post, right? The best Mac ever, and he's been pretty shockingly critical of Apple, frankly. Um, about his 
you know, distaste with yeah. this machine. And he, I, he I wound up buying a used 2015 MacBook Pro that has all the ports, still has a high DPI to screen, screen has the old keyboard. And I'm at the place where I've already bought the dongles, and like the HP is also USB-C. It's, it's the damn keyboard, right? Because I can't like rip out the keyboard and put another one in. Granted, I use it in docked mode most of the time with a with a you know the code. Uh, well, then blue what cherry. the f? What the f? What the f are you complaining about? Because when you're on the road for a week and a half uh, or two wait. weeks, and it's the only keyboard you have, and the keys start sticking, it's actually a huge pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, because that those are the situations where you're probably under more pressure than you normally are. Um. So mm-hmm. everything, you, you everything hurts a little more. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think. I think it's a bad time to be a Mac user right now in 2017. Right. I think in 2018 – To be a high – well, to be a high-end Mac user. Yeah, right. I actually think the trade-offs they've made make a lot of sense for like your sales guys, your yeah, your non-developers, your, your non your – You know, here's, yeah. the, here's the thing I think though. At the end of 2018, you're going to have the iMac Pro, which looks like it's going to be a pretty powerful computer. And now there's rumors that they're going to have an embedded A10 processor in there, which I would hope would be for Xcode development. Say goodbye to the simulator if you have an iMac Pro. And then at the end of 2018, they're going to have the Mac Pro, which they say is going to be a modular Mac. I would bet you in that mix, too, at WWDC is also a new MacBook Pro with an updated keyboard. And then it's the year of the professional Mac or whatever the hell they'll call it. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the keyboard's there because they they refuse to make it not as thin as possible, right? And every year it has to get thinner. But they've already so the, done they've already done one update to it that made it a bit better. The latest generation has had a modification. The thing is, is to, to totally redo that, you're, you have to redo the whole top, the whole housing. And so that's going to take. And that's going to take. Have to add. You may have to add a couple millimeters. It's going to take a year. That's going to take at least a year because you're going to have to redesign that. Come up with a. You have to come up with a solution. You have to then come up with a design. Then you have to come up with a way to build it. Then you have to make the machinery. I don't, I, to build I don't it. think it's going to take. Yeah, I don't year. think they're giving. I, I think you're crazy. They're not going to give up on the butterfly switches. No, they're just no, not. No, no, no. They'll just. Yeah, they'll give not, them. They'll. I. I would be willing to bet they could come up with a way to give them a better feel. Because what they here's what I think they did. Because one thing I'll give the keyboard is it sounds like a keyboard. Like it's clack 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 clack. Like it's it's a clacky laptop Ooh, keyboard. It's, it sounds like chiclets. Yeah, it's, no, it's uh, right, but tech, 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 it's got it like it's got a sound to it. Tech, 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 tech. Like they 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 focused on the sound of that keyboard and they didn't focus on the feel of the keyboard. It's so Johnny Ives. It's so obviously a Johnny Ives thing. They focused on the design and the look and the and the, the wiggle of the keys, which they they are right. It they don't wiggle as much. When you, which is nice, they feel more solid. The problem is don't they don't travel, right. and your keys end up slamming, and you have they to. They get stuck. They don't just they get stuck. You have to you have to read you, your typing wrong. You have to type lighter. That's what that's what they'll probably be saying right now. And that's then at ridiculous. WWDC, Apple have reinvented the laptop keyboard with a brand new butterfly keyboard switch with better travel, better feel, and a new improved clacky sound. You watch. So, so, so let me just take it a notch higher. Maybe if your need is high-end Mac, you ought to be on the iMac or the yeah, iMac. Yes. Probably not the iMac Pro, but the, but the iMac 5K if you're a developer. The iMac Pro, devs don't really need. Yeah. I, I actually don't like that they gave that the Pro name. I, no, that, that's actually iMac Pixar edition. You're kind of missing. Right? No, it's not just so. No, um, let me rephrase it for you because you're not spending enough money. Uh, if you want to be a high-end, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, if you no, this is real. Think about this. If you want to be a high-end iOS developer, then you should be doing your primary development on an iMac Pro, but of course you need to travel, obviously, so then you need to get these the the smallest high-end MacBook Pro, so that way you can oh, travel. Of course, you also right. need a couple of iPhones to test on, so you're going to need an iPhone 10 and an iPhone 8 and likely an iPhone 7. You're also going to need an iPad uh, 9 and an iPad 12 to test on that. Um, and then you're going to need to kind of keep those devices up to date because each new iteration generally introduces new CPU features, new performance, new screen yep. stuff. So uh, just go ahead and notches. get your yeah yeah notches. Get your credit card out and uh, catch up. I actually agree with you. I, I think about it right now. Like forget about if if I could liquidate all these devices and money was no object. What is the best one machine that I could buy? And it's pretty clearly a 5K iMac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you didn't, if you didn't need to be able to travel places and do presentations, if I didn't need to be able to. Well, it would be like a five K iMac and like a thirteen inch MacBook Pro, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's two so like three thousand dollars computers. Is, so, so right, six thousand no, dollars. Yeah, six grand. Yeah, I still need to be able to like generate code signing, and this is always the crisis that comes up, right? Someone needs a build on some new device, you know, um, and that can only realistically and conveniently be done on Mac. Yeah, the Mac, the Mac is the platform of the mobile app developer, and Windows is trying to position itself as the platform of the web app developer. You see, that's what that's how I see it. Is Windows is like if you if you if you're not in that ecosystem, you want to buy the hardware you want and run it on the system you want. Even if you build it yourself, you can do that. And look, we've got Ubuntu, we've got SUSE. Soon we're going to have CentOS and Fedora, and you can just build your applications for the web on Windows. But and if you're doing iOS development or if you're doing mobile development for multiple platforms, yeah, then you're in a Mac. Then you're a Mac consumer. But everybody else for the web, which is way more developers, why don't you buy a Windows box? Yeah, no, I think that's true, right? I think the thing that keeps dragging me back to the Mac is there's a legacy of all those years of iOS development, right? It's just, you know, and and realistically, I might bitch about how much Macs cost, but you make more money doing iOS dev than you spend by a margin. Hmm. So, you know, yeah, okay. I hope I hope they've heard the feedback, and we can have like another. Uh, turn more toward like like they really need a change like Microsoft seems to have undergone where they focus on the developers and the pro users and stop like they have the sickness where they're obsessed with thinness and and I don't I know that sounds flippant but really that seems to be the root of all their problems well okay so now everything we've just outlined all the devices you need to buy what if the iMac Pro flips all that shit on its head? It's got an it's got an iPhone basically built into it, an A10 processor. It's got its own dedicated Why? memory, its own dedicated GPU, and you you light up you you light up Xcode, and instead of running a simulator, you're actually running it on an A10, which gives you a pretty good midsection of the iOS market because it's not the Bionic processor in the 10 and what's going to be in the new iPads, but it's also not as low end as a four or a five, and so it's going to have a few years of longevity to it. So that you know that's like three. That's an A10 is probably a good three year test target. You may be able to buy less devices because you'll be able to simulate the screen and the notch and all of that on the Mac, but the actual code execution will be happening on an ARM chip, which would be a game changer for iOS development and may mean that you don't have to buy an iPad and an iPhone. You buy an iMac Pro and it it successfully emulates those things now on its huge-ass 5K display. I mean, I'm not even sure that that step would be necessary. Um, because I already carry an iPhone as my personal phone. Right. Yeah. I, and, but don't you think if you could simulate an iPad with hardware, A10 processor, and so, an, so that's not my main complaint about the Max. To be honest with you, is that I have to buy the peripheral devices. It's that well, I don't have mine. enough. It's expensive. I. It's that I don't. Well, it, it's not that expensive compared to not being able to upgrade the devices. Hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. And yeah, okay. like this MacBook Pro on my desk may be the best bad compromise right now, but I can see myself handing this to someone shortly if they come out with one with a better keyboard because I'm I I, oh, I yeah. just travel too or much. Or one that can take right? more like, than I, sixteen gigs of RAM, or one that can have more than it's two not terabytes. Even the RAM. It, it it really just is the keyboard and like the hardware and the touch bar and all this. Well, my dumb point is stuff they're, that they're they limited to, to a do. couple of years now. These machines are no longer like a, like the twenty fifteen MacBook Pro that Marco goes on and on about isn't super upgradable itself, but it's still a multi year machine. And I say that because I have a I think it's a it's either a I think it's a twenty thirteen late edition MacBook Pro that I run Arch on. And it's mm. still a really good machine with dedicated 700 series NVIDIA graphics, I think, or something along that lines. Um, SSDs, uh, upgradable memory. I mean, it's it's still a very good machine all these years later. I don't think my TouchBook is going to get that longevity. It's too static in its configuration. I mean, I don't think, and this is kind of my problem, that this current MacBook Pro on my desk is not going to get that more than a year out of me. Because it's going to get too old too fast, and and the keyboard is going to bother me too much. I I honestly like I had a a 10 a.m. this morning when I had to go run out and get the uh, go get the MacBook. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, why the hell don't I just carry the MacBook? Right. And it was because I hate typing on that keyboard. 
So like I viscerally hate it. Is it ridiculous then for the Mad Botter Inc. to consider like a business lease program where you get upgrades every two years and you know you just say, essentially pay into a program? And yeah, but Johnny Ive is still there. Yeah, like I, you yeah, and okay. I don't agree, right? Like I don't agree with you that the trajectory is going to change. I think they'll make minor changes to the butterfly switches that will make it slightly better, but they're not going to go back and do like chiclet switches or no. or they're never yeah. going to do cherry switches, right. which no laptop does. So then right. that's asking too much. Yeah. Well, um, there are some. They're just huge. I agree. And, and it may be like I've, I've – and since – let me just cut in. Since we've been doing the show and even before then for years, I've had this poisonous dream of I will have one laptop that is my entire workstation and I've spent – a freaking fortune trying to make this happen and you know what i'm realizing chris that is just a stupid thing to desktops want. are so much better i mean i love my laptops right. but desktops are just such better long-term performance systems like the parts are different parts they're just made of different stuff you know and it's right and they make different compromises exactly that's and, what it is yeah yeah i mean i i think about it would i mind a shitty keyboard on a laptop if i really only had to use it you know, every once in a while for travel or on the couch. And the answer is probably it would bother me, but not as much. But like e- even just like putting a laptop and using it as a second screen to a monitor like I am now, that's actually kind of a kludgy compromise system, right? I have all these cables hanging out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it really is kind of a, a kind of jerry-rigged sort of setup. Um, I don't know. I, I Yeah, whereas my, I my PC have, upstairs, my workstation upstairs, I just have – I have, you know, a, a built-in graphics that, that has three DisplayPort connections, and I just pop, 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 and it's it feels like it's built for that purpose. Anyways, I guess I'd wrap this up by saying um, uh, I, 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 find, I find this interesting because it's, a sim, it's very similar to my observations, but I'm left wondering now what happens with the HP. Do you keep it? Do you give it? Do you sell it? Like, what happens now to the Spectre? Well, I mean... I don't. It's it's going to become somebody else's machine, right? Oh, like that's what's. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's a, a nice even, Windows box. That's a nice Windows machine. It'd probably be a really well, good Ubuntu box too. Yeah, Ubuntu's burned me on the touch stuff before. Uh, yeah, well, try it with Unity, you know, because I know a uh, friend of the show, uh, Martin Wimpress. Uh, he uses. Uh, he has a slightly one like generation older and has a tremendous amount of success with. Uh, Ubuntu on there. Yeah, and I know just real quick, people in chat are saying, oh, if you just set up a Mac and like do the code signing that way, you, uh, you know, from a Windows box or a Linux box, you can do it. Yes, yeah. you can. Yeah. In Visual Studio for Windows, you can do that. That, in practical terms, really doesn't work. Yeah. Especially if you're traveling and there's no one in the office, the Mac is behind a locked door and somehow like restarted and didn't turn back on or something. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. wanted to uh, put a call out. I should have I should have made this at the beginning of the show. Maybe I'll try to remember to do it at the beginning of the show next week. Uh, episode three hundred is is out in the four dist like the you know way out there like just on the edge of our render distance for Coda Radio right now, and uh, we would like to invite, request, ask for a potential like Coda Radio remix art for episode three hundred, like a like a special edition, maybe something we could put on some swag, you know, something that signifies Coda Radio three hundred. Uh, something unique for the milestone. And uh, if we got it in time where we could convert it into swag, we'd put it up with 300. So anyways, I'm just kind of soliciting that. And uh, email Angela at jupiterbroadcasting.com, not me or Michael, because uh, likely we'll get missed. But uh, this is, is, is going to be a mission probably for Ange here in the future. And I think she's she'd be more than happy to receive some submissions. So email Angela at jupiterbroadcasting.com. If you have any, um, I don't know, if you just want to get involved and uh, help... Uh, Help celebrate episode 300. We'd really appreciate the submission. Probably should have mentioned that earlier in the show, but I'm mentioning it now. Well, Mr. Dominic, our experiment with Windows wraps up. I'm back on Ubuntu, and you're on the Mac. Uh, I do want to give my pick of the week before we get out of here, because if you're on Windows and you you feel like the really the last – I did, at least after I installed uh, the Ubuntu and Windows subsystem for Linux, I really felt like the, the weakest link was the terminal, the, the command prompt just old feels so old it's so windows and so i got a commander at commander.net c-m-d-e-r.net it's a portable console emulator for windows and the the author says it was created out of pure frustration over the absence of nice console emulators on windows it's based on amazing software and spiced up with the uh, monica monica uh, uh, color scheme it's gorgeous it's sort of a dark color scheme 
a custom prompt layout and looking sexy from the start. And when you compare it to the old <laughs> the old Windows command prompt, it's pretty good. Uh, and the nice thing is, is you could uh, just like toss it in Dropbox and it keeps all the configs in the local folder. And then each Windows box you run from, you could just open it up and all of your settings, your terminal layout and all that stuff stays with you, which sounds pretty cool. There are other um, temp- terminal apps out there for Windows like uh, ConMU and others. But this is just really simple, light. It's like a 50 megabyte uh, 7Z download or a 100 megabyte. Un- and they got like an 8 meg version, just like a mini version. It's just a nice portable console emulator for Windows. When you combine this with uh, chocolatey, I'm sorry, whatever the whatever the, the, the chalk or whatever it was, and uh, the Linux subsystem, it's just a, it's a pretty nice experience and it makes Windows feel a lot like Linux. You know, when you get a good terminal on Linux and you get it all configured the way you like, felt like that. CMDER.net. If you're on Windows, you want to try it out and you want to feel like one of the real Unixes out there, check it out. I, I liked it a lot. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, look for Quarter Radio episode 285 and scroll down to the bottom of the show notes for the pick of the week. Mr. Dominic, is there any other business we need to attend to before we get out of here? No, I'm just going to go cry in a white room. <laughs> Gripping your MacBook. I understand. I understand. Well, in the meantime, where would you like to send the people? Where, what kind of like destination do you have for them? Go to, uh, go to themadbotter.com and add Zubinuku on Twitter. Perfect. All right. Well, that wraps us up right here on the Coda Radio Program. Thank you for joining us for 285. You can follow me on the Twitter at Chris LAS. Follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Our live times are on Mondays, at least for now. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar for those. And CodaRadio.reddit.com for engagement, story submissions, and feedback. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio program. And we'll see you right back here next week. Get the hell out of here.